Welcome to Life Center Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and our church, visit lifecenternyc.com. Amen. Thank you, Lachlan. All right. So if you gave your offering envelope, you can put it back up and the ushers will come get it if they haven't already. Um, I'm going to start some... I'm going to pray again, because that's what we do around here. So, Lord, I just thank you. Thank you for what you're doing in this place already. We just, we worship you, Father. We we thank you for the breakthrough that's already happened today. We thank you, Lord, how you're tenderizing our hearts today. And, Lord, I pray that the zeal of the Lord would consume us today. God, even in the season of transition that we are in, Lord, that you would equip your people. Come, Holy Spirit. Come equip your people with zeal for the hour that you've placed us in this city, in this region. Lord, would you give us zeal for your name, that it would burn bright in us and through us all the days of our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. So if you didn't catch it from my prayer, I'm going to be speaking today about zeal. Specifically, the zeal, zeal for the Lord. And I, I find it fitting that I'm speaking on Super Bowl Sunday because you all are about to, well, some of you, I'm going to watch the game. You're, you're about to go and see a lot of zealous behavior this afternoon. And most of the zeal during a football game is not on the field. It's actually all the crazy people in the stands yelling and screaming and their, their faces are painted and they're, you know, they paid a lot of money for those seats. And they've been there all day through the rain, through the sun, through the thick of it. They're showing up there. They're really people that are zealous sports fans. They craft their life around their team. Right. They craft they, their money, their finances. It, it flows. It follows um, their team where their team goes. They go whatever they need to pay. They'll pay it. They'll go and they'll do it. And our culture is okay with that. We, we kind of like that. But if you get zealous about God, how many of you know that that's not so welcome in the present culture? If you say, I believe the Bible and the things of the Bible, and I'll give all my time and money and attention to Jesus, people think that's weird. But you got all this face paint, and you're this crazy football guy, and I'm just, I'm just believing God. I, I'm zealous for the one and only God. Why is that weird? Why should I calm down? You shouldn't calm down. The zeal of the Lord, I believe, is coming on his people for such a time as this. And so you, you feel it. You feel it stirring. You, like, I feel it during our prayer sets. And that's why I want to talk about this topic particularly, because I believe it's coming in a greater measure. Now, when I was in, in college, you know, I would paint my face up and go to football games and do, do the whole bit, right? And one of my buddies, he, he was a big Got football guy too. Now, one day, he, the Holy Spirit came on my friend while he was in the car, like literally, I don't know if he, hopefully he wasn't driving, I forget, but the Spirit of God falls on him. He begins speaking in tongues, He be, and he doesn't know, he is not in that world, and the Lord just began to work, work him over. <laughs> so Super Bowl Sunday comes, and my buddy Tim um, is a Steelers fan. Steelers are playing, and he's nowhere to be found. I'm like, Tim, where'd you go, man? What's going on? literally locks himself in, the, in his room, and he's just praising and worshiping God. And he's just like, I'm not really trying to be holy. This is just all I want to do. Like, I just don't want to watch the game today. So some of you don't feel like I'm condemning you for watching the game. I'm going to watch the game. 
But it was just a great example because I saw a man consume with zeal for God in such a way that he, he didn't have zeal for other things that he used to have zeal for. All that zeal, all that energy, all that passion was being put into Christ and his love for Jesus. And that's how we're supposed to live. And if that looks crazy, good. I'm glad it does because the world needs to see men and women of God who are set on fire for Jesus. Like they need to watch us burn and it will mess them up in the mind. They will try to figure out why are you giving your time and money? Why are you doing this? And we'll get to point to Jesus. And I'll tell you, it will create a situation for an evangelistic moment with those that watch you burn. And you don't do it just so they watch. You do it because he's worthy. You do it because your zeal for the Lord is consuming you. So the zeal for the Lord, it's, it's not like that youthful zeal. You know, we see young people sometimes, they get really excited, and you're like, yeah, just give it a year, that'll fade. But the zeal for the Lord is a zeal that sustains you. It drives you. It, it lasts the whole span of your life. It doesn't ebb and flow. Now, maybe some days you feel better than others, but that zeal is steady. It's like a steady river in your heart. And, and it's, it keep, the zeal of the Lord is meant to keep us on track in times of testing, in times of persecution, in times of temptation. The zeal of the Lord, it will, it will save your life. Um, it'll keep you from not wavering during, and it, I'll say this, even especially during times of outpouring. Like we think about it in times of like bad times, but in the good times, when God's pouring out, you want to be careful that you're in that moment, you're living a life holy unto him. And as Bill was sharing a few weeks back, and this is kind of a jumping off of his message, the fear of the Lord is a critical, critical thing. And when God's moving in such a way, as we are going to see and are starting to see pieces of, you want to make sure your heart is tender to him and that your life is clear of any nonsense because God is moving and that fire can burn you as well as that fire can make you burn bright. But it will burn you if, if you're not ready for it, if your life is not aligned with him. And so it's, it's a serious thing I'm talking about today when I talk about the zeal of the Lord, and it's a little intense, so, so bear with me, but it's, it's what I feel the Lord's saying. So what is zeal? How do you define zeal? I, I got this quote from this uh, bishop. His name's J.C. Ryle, and he writes in his book on practical religion. He says, zeal in religion is a burning desire to please God and to do his will and to advance his kingdom in the world in every possible way. So zeal is a burning desire to do what? To please God, to do his will, and advance his kingdom in every possible way. In everything you do, you are looking to advance his kingdom. You are looking to glorify him. You are looking for him to have the honor and have the glory in everything you do. That is the zeal of the Lord that we're talking about today. The Hebrew word for zeal is kinah, and that meaning is ardor, zeal, or jealousy. Isn't that an interesting word choice? Jealousy. Though we see that as a negative in our culture, but jealousy that God has is a positive. God is jealous for, for his glory. God is jealous, actually, for our hearts to consume us wholeheartedly. That is a good thing. That is a good jealousy. And it's with that jealousy that we are called to burn for him. With the jealousy God has for us, with the love and passion God has for us, we're called to burn with that same in love and passion for him. If you turn to me to Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 6. I'm going to read this one from the New King James. Song of Solomon 8, verse 6. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. For love 
is as strong as death. Its jealousy, so that's kinah, that's the word for zeal. Its jealousy, its zeal, unyielding as of the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. That's the love of God. It's that jealous. It's that strong. It's all-consuming. And that's what we're desiring, and that's what we're going to pray for more of today. So if you're in this room today, we're going to, I'm going to tell you where I'm going. We're going to be praying for more of this type of zeal today because I believe we're in a season where that zeal is needed to actually thrust forth the things that God wants to bring in the earth. He's going to put a zeal on his people for the hour that we live in. Because there's great darkness, but how many know there's great light? <laughs> so when we have a zeal of God, it actually gives us perspective, and we're not, we're not, um, we're not sort of our, our our minds aren't warped by the darkness we see around us. And in fact, there's a joy and expectation. The zeal of the Lord's about to break in. The Lord, the God of glory, is about to reveal His glory. So when we see darkness, we get excited. We double down because we know the light is shining brighter. And, and so this perspective, I believe, is coming on the church for the hour that we live in. Now, I want to look at a few of the old-time um, characters who, who ex- exude the zeal of the Lord. And uh, how many of you know a lot of the old-time, um, old-time, that's what I'm saying, old-time, Old Testament, um, the Old Testament Hall of Famers of zeal, all of their stories are not PG. Like, they're all quite violent, actually. And, and so I think that's why they don't get told enough. But I'm going to tell one of them today. So we see Elijah, right, man of zeal, challenges the prophets of Baal. The zeal of the Lord comes on him, and he, he kills and, and demolishes these prophets because the one true God has to have his way. We see Samson, strength and zeal comes upon him to defeat the Philistines. And then we see Phineas, the priest with a spear is what I like to call him, the priest with a spear. We're going to get into his story today. Now, Phineas is uh, seen in the book of Numbers, so you can turn to Numbers. We're going to be in Numbers 25, but give you a little backstory. Numbers 21 through 24 is leading up to Numbers 25. Now, in these chapters, you have the Israelites who are on their way to the promised land. They've camped close to the Moabites, and the and Balak, king of the king of the Moabites, he is trying to defeat his foes, the Israelites. So he gets Balaam, a prophet, false prophet, not a good prophet. He says, hey, come and curse these people. Balaam gets up on the mountain, tries to curse them. Guess what? He can't do it. He keeps speaking blessing over them. It's like, well, I can't curse what God has not blessed. And Balak is mad and frustrated because he wants to win. And essentially, we find out in Numbers 31 is Balaam counseled him for a workaround. He said, if you can't Get, if you can't curse them, here's what I counsel you. Get the Moabite women. Get your women to seduce them, to sin against God, and then they'll be undercut. And then it will erode their authority. It will erode. They'll, they'll actually end up connecting themselves with false idols, and then God will come against them. So that's, that's how he directs them, and that's what ends up happening. And we'll read it in Numbers 25. So Numbers 25, verse 1, while Israel was staying in Shittim, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with Moabite women who invited them to, to the sacrifices of their gods. The people ate the sacrificial meal, and they bowed down before these gods. So Israel yoked themselves to the ball of Peor, and the Lord's anger burned against them. The Lord said to Moses, take all the leaders of these people and kill them and expose them to broad daylight before the Lord. So the Lord's fierce anger may turn away from Israel. 
So Moses said to the Israel's judges, each of you must put to death those of your people who have yoked themselves to, the, to Baal of Peor. Then an Israelite man brought into the camp a Midianite woman. So this is the very issue that they were talking about. A Midianite woman right before the eyes of Moses and the whole assembly of Israel. Catch this last part. While they were weeping at the entrance of the tent of meeting. So this sin has brought a literal plague all across the land. And this man has the audacity to bring this Midianite woman into his tent in front of all the leaders. Literally, there's thousands of people dying because they've yoked themselves to Baal, because they've given themselves to the sexual morality of the Moabites. And this guy has no fear of the Lord. It's void. I'm telling you all, in our culture today, there is an increasing lack of the fear of the Lord. And people... People, even like us, who, who, should, who should know better. We know the ways of God. We know what's in his word. And there's no fear. And, and we think that we can do things that are opposing to God, and there's going to be no ramifications. Now, God's grace is real, and God's grace is, is sufficient to cover a multitude of sins in our life. But if we allow sin and, and things into our camp, like they allowed in their camp, th- there are serious repercussions. And, and I'm I'm afraid that, like, the church even has lost conviction for these things. And we must not, especially during these times where God is pouring out his spirit. We must walk with a greater level of consecration and a greater level of discernment to, to say, no, God's ways are the ways. And if I go outside of that, there are repercussions, and I'm terrified of what that would look like. So you have this going on. I'm going to pick it up in verse 7. Then Phineas, son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw this, and he left the assembly, and he took a spear in his hand, and he followed the Israelite into the tent, and he drove the spear into both of them, right through the Israelite man and into the woman's stomach. Then the plague against the Israelites was stopped, but those who died in the plague numbered 24,000. The Lord said to Moses, Phineas, Son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned my anger away from the Israelites since he was what? Zealous for my honor among them as I am. I did not put an end to them in my zeal. Therefore, tell him I'm making my covenant of peace with him. He and his descendants will have a covenant of a lasting priesthood because he was zealous for the honor of his God and made atonement for the Israelites. So this is an intense verse. That's why we don't preach on it. And I mean, just the violence of it. Like he's literally running a spear through two women, through a man and a woman, and we can figure out what they're doing. And he's running a spear through them and God endorses it. God says, that is my zeal. That is what he's doing is actually in line with what God wants. But look at the outcome. What is the outcome? Thousands are probably spared. Who knows how many? The plague ends because of this man's zeal. But what he did, it's tough for us to grapple with. It's tough. The violence of it is is overwhelming. But you have to see that literally this nation had sinned against God, and there was going to be such a judgment poured out that this man discerned in the moment, this is what God wants, and he did it, and it spared thousands upon thousands of people. Now, where did he, where was Phineas at? when he got this, this revelation, when he got this zeal. You remember where he was at? 
verse 6. He was with the leaders weeping at the, at the entrance of the tent of meeting, the place where God dwells. He was at that place weeping before the Lord. Just to give you a perspective, so you don't see him as such like a, I think we just see these stories and we think of like these like re- religiously zealot, like mad people. This guy was getting God's heart. It was under, And in the presence, he did something bold. And he did something that saved thousands of lives. And he declared the righteousness of God. And he quenched God's anger against the people. It's a beautiful story when you see the complexities of it and you see what he's doing. I believe there's application in this story for us today. I believe there's such an importance on being in the presence, on, on seeking the face of the Lord, and that in that moment, God will give you and I zeal for the hour we live in to do the thing. You're not going to kill anybody, but you're going to do, do the thing that actually is in line with God's heart in that moment, and it brings peace and it brings security to the land. It's for the hour that we live in. See, Phinehas, his story reminds us of the holiness of God and the importance of following his, his ways. And, I mean, Lou said this when he was here a week ago. He, he said, watch your tears. Watch the places that you, where you cry and you weep. When you get in the house of prayer, when you get before his presence, what are the people and the situations that you cry and you weep about? And Lou mentioned that in that place, there's authority. In that place, there, there will be zeal to actually solve and heal the wounds of the people that you're crying out for. I really believe that. And so in the New Testament, this story has a little different ramification, but it, it still hits the same mark. In that place of zeal, in that place of prayer, you will get the zeal to solve the problems of the nation, to bring healing and restoration. Andrew Murray, uh, he has a commentary on this verse, and I want to read it to you. Here's what he says. He says, to be jealous with God's jealousy is to be jealous for God's honor and to rise up against sin. This is the gate into the covenant of an everlasting priesthood. Even the new covenant covenant is in danger of being abused by the seeking of our own happiness or holiness more than the honor of God or the deliverance of men. Well said, Andrew Murray. So we see, we see Finhas and we see his zeal. But how many of you know he, he was rewarded by that? They, literally, it says in the scriptures, as I just read, he was given the covenant of peace. God rewarded him for that. But how many of you know that he did not fulfill the priesthood? Like Phineas was one of many priests, and all of them fell short. Because in fact, we were waiting for the high priest, the great high priest, Jesus himself, written about in Hebrews. The great high priest was going to come onto the scene, the one who truly could make atonement for the people's sin, the one who truly could come and shed his own blood for the sins of everyone. Like once and for all, Jesus shed his blood. He did the thing that the high priests that were just mere humans could not do. And so this verse is also leading us to this great high priest who sympathized with our weakness, who walked in our flesh and was able to overcome death and able to, and able to defeat sin on our behalf. So that's where we're going. So I'm going to jump now into 
to Jesus, the time of Christ, and the zeal that we see in Jesus. Now, the zeal of Jesus, we should all exude. We shouldn't say, oh, Jesus, he was just too, he was too excited. He was too, he was too emotional. This is Jesus, all right? This is our model. He, he's our model. Um, he's who we're following. So turn with me to John chapter 2, starting at verse 13. Now, this is when Jesus is um, leading up to Passover, and Jesus is coming in to Jerusalem. And he's riding on a donkey. They're singing Hosanna in the highest. And John puts this right in the beginning of his gospel because it's so important, such an important component. So he rides in Jerusalem. He goes to the temple, and we'll take it from there. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords, and he drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle, and he scattered the coins of the money changers, and he turned over the tables. For those who sold doves, he said, get out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Psalm 69. This is taking place in the courtyard of the Gentiles. And during that time, this is leading up to Passover, there's all these people coming in. This is supposed to be a place for prayer for the nations to gather in the temple. And instead, it's a marketplace. Instead, you have these people that are, they're they're taking, what they were doing is you come in with the money from wherever you're from, and there was an exchange situation. So you have to exchange that for the local money so that you can pay your tax to the temple. And there was animals set up for purchase so that you can sacrifice those animals unto the Lord. But it was a racket. And so you had certain people that, that, that could be your animal sellers. And all this business is happening in the temple of the Lord. And Jesus saw this, and it was enough. He lost it in the best way because this is a righteous zeal. This is good. This is Jesus himself. And he takes a whip, and he drives them out, and he flips tables. And literally, they couldn't even, they couldn't even do their transactions. That's how, this is a big place. Can you imagine the amount of chaos that Jesus brought to that place because zeal for the Lord's house had consumed him. And it was such a scene that the disciples are there watching this, and I, I can just imagine their faces like, wow, like, this is unexpected. And, and it provokes them to Psalm 69. This is the prophecy fulfilled. So just picture how intense this moment must have been. But how intense is God's heart for his temple? Is God's desire to cleanse and restore and heal? Because this was the picture of God to the people at that time. This was where his presence was supposed to dwell. And so he was done with what was taking place, and he would not be silent. And in a sense, he's also establishing something really profound here. He's cleansing this temple, and he's saying this worldly temple, this it just leads to corruption. It lead, men cannot find God through their sacrificial components. Men cannot find God through their systems. But the presence of God himself was there in their midst, Jesus, who was fully God and fully man. Literally, the presence is here. And he's saying, this is going to be the new connection point between heaven and earth. Me, Christ, is the new place where heaven meets earth. And not only is the temple, the temple is actually no longer going to be in this location. In fact, he prophesies, if you read the verse, that this, the whole temple is coming down, every stone, and it did, it happened. But in fact, there was a new temple being raised up, little temples all over the earth, 
our bodies, the bodies of men and women who have given their life to Jesus become a temple for the Holy Spirit, the presence of God to rest on us. So the things were about to change. <laughs> massively, massively change. There's a lot going on in this moment. So I... um. My kids, they're both in, they like to swim, and I mean, I've had, had them in swim classes recently. And um, in the swim classes, my, my daughters are, the ones that swim are six and seven. Um, they have these various levels, okay, for swimming. And the names are cute. It's like starfish or like, you know, some other type of fish, flounder. And, um, and so my daughter, Lilu, um, she was about to go in, and I was asking a parent, I was like, well, tell me, tell me about these classes. Like, which one should I do? Like, I really want to get this right. And he was like, well, our, my friend was like, well, our daughter Matilda, she's in the guppies class. I was like, well, that sounds, you know, <laughs> elementary. Um, and she, I was like, well, what is she learning in the guppies class? Well, it's the first class, and all they do is teach you how to put your head all the way under the water. That's it. I was like, well, how long has she been in the class? Oh, she's been like her fourth time going through the class. <laughs> I said, what? She's been in the class four times? Like, she won't put her head under the water. She's too stubborn. She won't do it. I said, all right. And the Lord began to speak to me through this, you know, little funny guppy story. And he was like, yeah, that's the prerequisite in my world as well. That's the prerequisite in the kingdom of God. That's what baptism is. It's full immersion. Totally, totally under the surface. And if you can't get fully immersed, if you can't give yourself fully, if you can't connect yourself with the zeal of the Lord, you're not even on the team. Like, you, you can't even begin to, to be a part of the thing God wants to pour out on the earth. Full immersion is the starting place of the Christian life. But some of us never knew, all right? We thought we could just kind of be in the kingdom, and we go and we do a little worship and praise, and then we go home and live our life just like, it, like we normally do. But God's like, no, full immersion, all in. Keep taking the test until you get it, and then I'll pour out my spirit on you and use you to share my gospel for the nations. We need a church that's fully immersed. No feet, no ankles, not knee deep, full immersion. Praise God, Matilda made it through. She's in the kingdom now. I saw her just the other day. I saw her last week at a birthday party. All right, so I want to get into three components of zeal. And so I'm going to close with these three different elements that I see of zeal. And I think these are really important, really important. The first one, zeal, zeal for the Lord, is fueled by prayer and worship. Prayer and worship are, if you want to burn for God and you're not in a lifestyle of prayer and worship, good luck, man. Let me tell you, I tried it. It's no good. I was just a pure evangelist. I'm going to go out and white knuckle and meet everybody and bring them to Jesus. And I burned out so fast. Can't do it. Prayer and worship. It's a humility to spend time in prayer. It's, it's a humble thing to say, God, like, I can't do this. Like, I need your heart. I need you to move. And so prayer and worship is essential. Um, we're going to jump into Matthew 21. The, when Jesus cleared the temple courts, right, this is in every single gospel. This is Matthew's version I'm going to read right here. And it essentially starts out the same way. Um, I'm going to read, start in verse 12. Jesus entered the temple area. He drove out all those who were selling and buying on temple grounds. He overturned the tables, the money changers, and the seats of all those who were selling doves. Now, verse 13 gives us a little different picture of what was happening. 
And he said to them, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer. But you are making it into a den of robbers. So he's challenging what they're doing. He's challenging, as we saw before, there's a zeal on him to challenge the evil and the wickedness that's happening in that moment, defiling God's house. But what's, what goes in its place, right? You can, you can figure out the things in your life that are off, right? If you're really going to the Lord and dialoguing with him or you're around wise counsel, people would be like, hey, like this is off, that's off, this is off. This is, this is wicked, this is not of God. But what do you do? What do you put in its place? How do you get rid of that thing? God wants to make you a house of prayer. There's power. And when you live a lifestyle of prayer and worship, boy, you end up being able to like get rid of so many critters that you've let in your house or that people like, or generationally you got. When you live in prayer and worship, he cleanses you. That fire that comes on you, it's a refining fire. And it comes when we pray and we worship and we get around the throne and we say, God, would you come make us clean? And when we ask and when we cry out, you know, we cry out like, like in, um, where is this verse? I have it in here somewhere. I'm already getting to it because I think it's so important. It's Psalm 139. Psalm 139. Search me, God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in everlasting life. It's prayers like that that God can start to change and shift the very, the very DNA. Because a lot of us get sin from our DNA. A lot of us, it's, it's passed down. You think, well, well, I didn't do it, God. Why is it on me? I don't know, but it is. And God wants to heal it. It's his heart to restore you. And it's his heart to set you free. So just as we are the temple of the Lord, God wants to clear our temples. He wants to cleanse us. And all he's asking for is a yes. That's the beauty of it. You don't got to figure every detail out. Like, please don't try to figure out every little tiny thing that went wrong in your past. Like, there's a place for that. But there's, there's also an importance of just saying yes to him, inviting him, and, being, and actually being willing to work through those things that are hard, that you don't want to talk about, that you don't want to engage with. But you bring them before the Lord and say, God, I'm your temple would you cleanse me? I know there's, I know there's messed up stuff. You got to have the humility to actually admit you got messed up stuff in your life. But God, I want to be used for your service. I want to be a house of prayer. Would you cleanse me? And he'll put prayers in your life and he'll put people in your life that begin to do that, that cleansing work. And, it, and it's, it's for his glory. It's so that the zeal of the Lord can rest on a person. You know, we're talking about revival, and we're, we're, praying, we're praying for that. I want to read to you an excerpt from the revival that happened here because um, it relates to what we're talking about. So this is from a book, Wesley um, Duell's Revival Fire, and he's talking about um, when the outpouring of God came to New York City in the 1850s. Right? This is a story of, of it started with prayer. It started with prayer and worship. They were just praying up the street, actually just prayer. No, I don't think it was any worship, but they were praying up the street, and they're just a few, six people in a room. Jeremiah Lanford gets them together. They say, we're just going to pray for the city. They start bringing prayer requests, and the Lord lights a fire. God starts answering. People start coming. They're packing out the churches from noon to one all over the city, thousands of people. So here's the impact of a prayer culture, right? I'm going to read it to you right here. Those on ships approaching the East Coast, as, so these are ships coming into New York. 
at, at times felt a solemn, holy influence, even hundreds of miles from land. Revival on one of the ships before it reached the coast. People on board began to feel the presence of God and a sense of their own sinfulness. <laughs> on a ship, they're not even here. The Holy Spirit convicted them and they began to pray. As the ship neared the harbor, the captain signaled, send a minister. Another commercial ship arrived in port with the captain and every member of the crew converted in the last 150 miles of the journey. Ship after ship arrived in the ports of the East Coast with the same story. Passengers and crews were suddenly convicted by their sin and they turned to Christ before they even reached the American coast. Now that is a move of the Spirit and it comes with a conviction of sin because God is jealous for hearts and he will not have idols ruling and reigning in these temples. That's his jealous heart that you and I got to wrap our minds around because we're going to see some of this stuff. People don't ride on ships that much in New York. Maybe a, maybe a ferry will get touched on the way around here. I'll take it. I'll take a ferry. All right. Components of zeal. Number one, your zeal is fueled by prayer and worship. Number two, your zeal needs the knowledge of God. Pure zeal is not enough. Pure zeal can be attached to the very wrong things. And in fact, then you have outcomes that don't look like what we're talking about. Romans 1, or Romans 10 rather. Turn with me there. Romans 10, verse 1 through 2. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God is for the, is, for the Israelites is that they may be saved. It's Apostle Paul speaking. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. There's a lot of people that are in God's name are declaring zeal, but there's no love. God is love. There, there's no love under your zeal. Don't trust a zealous Christian that has no love undergirding that zeal. Do not trust it, and don't be it yourself. Because that zeal is real, but it's got to be attached to the person of Jesus Christ. And the righteousness that Christ has given to us, that's, that, that's what the Jews were missing. At that. That's what Paul is saying. You don't understand the righteousness of God by faith. You're trying to work for, you're trying to work for things that you only get through Jesus. And so it ends up being a zeal that's not connected to Jesus is not connected to the love of God. And we can put God on it, but there's not God in it because we don't have revelation and knowledge who God is. And some of us, we've done this stuff and we got to repent and ask God, Lord, help us to get your heart that that help us to discern righteous, real zeal from you and zeal that is based on works and performance or that's, that's us trying to do the works without the Holy Spirit, without, without the truth of, of who God really is. Lord, for myself, God, help us to see that. Help us to discern that today. We want to burn with a zealous love for others and for you. And it makes you ask the question, what's some of the things that you, you can probably think right now. Think of this, actually. Think right now, what are the things that you feel you are zealous for in life? What are the things that you burn for that you're passionate for? It could be things that seem godly and seem and things that don't. You know, maybe it's your work, maybe it's your kids, maybe it like what are the things you were zealous for in life? Just think about it. Is that zeal attached to the Lord? Like, is that zeal for that thing, is it attached to his heart and his ways and his plans? 
And if it's not, Holy Spirit, would you help us attach it to those things? That, that, that would be the driver. Because if it's not, we will mismanage these things, even good things, really good things. People are called to some really good things. But if your zeal is just for that thing and not for God's glory to manifest through that thing, boy, that thing will totally take your time and attention. It'll be the, it'll be the idol of your life. It'll own you instead of you owning it for the glory of God. See, I see a lot of people, they're, they're zealous for, for the poor. They're zealous for politics. They're zealous for these things that are good to be zealous for. But what's driving that zeal? We got to check that. Because I think God is raising up people in different industries with different callings. It's not just zeal to be a pastor in the house of the Lord. You may have that, and that's good. But it's where that driving point is. That's where you got to get. I mean, in fact, in the marketplace, there's some incredible people God's raising up to reform and shape and bring the kingdom in there. But the zeal for business, is it coming from him? If it is, fantastic. If it's not, check yourself because you might wreck yourself. (laughs) Somebody else said that, and I took it. Okay, so number one, zeal, your zeal must be fueled by prayer and worship. Number two, your zeal needs the knowledge of God. And my last point, your zeal should challenge wickedness and shake the status quo. Zeal looks like something, and it looks like it's abrasive. Like it's abrasive to the culture when you walk in the zeal of the Lord. Still looks like love, but it's abrasive. Trust me. Okay, so God is raising up a house of prayer. We're a justice house of prayer. We are to contend for justice and righteousness to be revealed. If you're asking God for justice and right, if you're asking God for light, you're naturally challenging the darkness. And so it, it, it just comes by the nature of our calling. The nature of our calling to, bring, to be salt and light in the culture means darkness is not going to like it. And it means you might have to actually stand up to darkness and say, out of here, and call wickedness what it is, and call deception what it is. What are the injustices that you burn with? What are the things that you see that mess you up at night, that makes you, get you so frustrated and undone? Don't despise that. Even if you have like maybe a a carnal response at first, you you see something, you hear something, and you have like a fleshly incorrect response, there's something about that, that, that desire for to see God heal that thing or that person, that situation. Do not put that aside. Oh, that's wrong. I don't want to be angry. Like that's, no, get his heart. But there's something about, there's a passion there that I believe we have not stewarded enough. I heard this story and it really messed me up and I'm going to share it with you real briefly. And it's not for the faint of heart. So there's a story that happened recently. It was in January um, that I read it. And it was this girl who she went through, she basically ran away from home and she was seduced by some online person and then trafficked. And then, and basically she was experiencing gender confusion. She thought she was a man and she comes back. She gets to the Maryland into their system, wherever they finally, they find her. 
And they refused, this is the state of Maryland or whoever the, the courts were there, they refused to put her um, back with her, her adopted parents. So she had adopted parents who were part of her blood family. They refused to put her back in the home because the parents, and it was a whole series of things, the parents would not, they, they misgendered her is what was, was said. They wouldn't identify with her as being a man, which she was claiming to be a man. And there's a lot of weird things in it where they didn't even understand that she thought she was a man. And so there's a lot of, a lot of that in it. But essentially, we need to hear the state of Maryland said this little girl, 14 years old, has been abused in traffic, cannot go into her home to be with her adopted parents because they refuse to agree with the state of Maryland's politics. It's disgusting. It's vile. And what happened was that girl was placed in a, in a home, like a protective home, ran away. It was like a bad situation. She was trafficked again. She was sent to another state, trafficked again. Finally, they get her back and put her in their home with people that actually care about her versus the state who clearly does not care about her. When I read that, that brought me to my knees. <laughs> how, how in a nation like ours is something like that? How does that exist? How is that real? You have to let some of these things mess you up. You have to let it bring you to tears because... We are called to be salt and light. We are called to call out wickedness and darkness. And what they're doing to these children is wickedness. It's darkness. Putting politics over the well-being of a child. Trying to make a statement about transgender. That, that's, that's sick on every level. It's vile. We'll have nothing to do with it. And, and, and so I tell you that story because that messed me up. And I felt like the Lord was like, don't you forget about that story. Like, don't you just move past that. That's a, this is a problem in our land. I want to heal this. I, I want to restore this. I want to raise up people with a passion and a hunger for my name that know how to stand against these things in love and in truth and bring correction and bring restoration to these children who are being maligned and they have no one to defend them. What's the thing that drives you? What's the thing that, that makes you burn? Burn for righteousness, for justice. Lean into that today. It may just be a calling behind that desire that you don't want to snuff out. Worship team, could you guys come up? I believe there are zealous ones rising in the church today for the things of God with the heart of God. And their prayers are provoking things to shift in the earth. And they're provoking action and they're provoking that literally this is the tip of the spear for what God wants to do. It's through the prayers that he'll shift, that, he'll, that we'll see healing and wholeness come to this land. I think the real question, I'm asking this myself. And so I'm, I'm posing this and I don't have all the answers. The real question for me and I know some of you have the same question. I've talked to you about it. How, how do you burn with zeal for God in Babylon? How do you do that? I go, Pastor, you're talking about having those passion, all this fire, and like, yeah, Lord, like, come and, and bring your wins and bring your righteousness and justice. How do you do that when you're in a toxic work environment where people don't believe any of the things I'm talking about. 
and they'll hate your guts for, for saying you do. How do you do that? I tell you the thing you can't do. We cannot let that passion and zeal die. We cannot push those things to the side and let the fear of men take us out. Let the fear of men numb us where we can't say or feel or, or believe the things that God has told us, who God's told us he made us, how he, how he made all things. We cannot become numb by the fear of man. Some of you today, that's going to get broken off. There's a fear of man that's numbing you out and you're not able to actually connect with the desires that God has put in you and you feel disjointed because you see these things and you know they're wrong, but you don't feel like you can do anything about it. So one thing you can't do, you can't put those things aside. Second thing you can't do, we can't disengage with the culture. Friends, we cannot, we cannot say, oh, this is too dark. These, I'm just going to start my own thing over here. I'm just going to do the church thing, or I'm just going to keep my distance because this is too messy and this is too crazy. And when we see, like, things, we just complain about them. We're just like, oh, there's evil people doing evil things. no. The Holy Spirit, there's an invitation to partner with God in prayer. There's an invitation to see, his, to see his glory in these areas of complete darkness. I mean, the Jesus people revolution, did those people just turn away all the, all the hippies because they were too weird and crazy? No, like they said, how do we engage with these people? How do we get them in our church? How do we hold them? How do we, how do we love them? So I don't know the answers fully, but I know those two things are really important. And I know the love of God has to burn in us if we're going to step into these places, if we're going to challenge these, these planes of darkness. We're going to need the zeal of the Lord, which is his jealous love to burn in us for people. Everybody stand for me, please. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can also follow us on Instagram at LifeCenterNYC or YouTube at LifeCenterChurchNYC.